Good evening. Welcome to the season one finale of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. Episode nine will feature today's special guest, Will Scott, one of the Syracuse Newhouse School's finest and most beloved sports journalists in the class of 2021. Will has a great mixture of experience in on-air, play-by-play, and other sports journalism platforms. How are you doing this evening, Will? Doing well, my friend. Good to hear your voice again. Good to be back with you. Uh, you know, obviously, we had a blast interning together at Golf Channel last summer, and uh, it feels like with all, with everything that's going on in the world, it feels like three years ago we interned together, not you know nine months ago. So, uh, I've been good, man. Hope you've been good as well. I definitely have. Now, you've recently been given the nickname Willie Betts. What's it looking like right now in the sports betting world when there's hardly anything going on? You know, BJ, it's funny. I was actually down in Jersey last week, and in Jersey, you can bet legally on a mobile app. So, you know, I was on FanDuel Sportsbook, and I made like $100 betting on Ukrainian ping pong. So, there's... You, yeah, you can literally you can literally bet on anything in the world. Like before the spelling bee got canceled, you could bet on like the spelling bee champion. Like it's just unbelievable like what you can bet on now. And so these sports books are having to adjust. And so they're taking a lot of bets on sports like Ukrainian ping pong. Obviously the UFC's coming back USC is back. So they're having more UFC bets than ever. The big golf matches this weekend with Tiger and Phil and Brady and Manning. So there's going to be a lot of bets toward that. So, you know, the closer we get to a full return of sports, the more bets we're going to have. But, I mean, there was a while where Ukrainian ping pong was the only only thing to bet on. That's something. But, <laughs> hey, does it really matter if you're making $100 off of the NBA Finals or Ukrainian ping pong? $100 is $100. So I respect right. the hustle. To start off the show, the U.S. Open cancels qualifying and will go on with an all-exempt field. The criteria for an all-exempt field has still yet to be determined, and in a statement on Monday, May 18th, Senior Managing Director of Championships, John Bodenhamer, told ESPN, as you can imagine, this is an incredibly difficult decision as qualifying is a cornerstone of the USGA Championships. We take great pride in the fact that many thousands typically enter to pursue their dream of qualifying for the U.S. Open, and we deeply regret that they won't have that opportunity this year. But this structure provides the best path forward for us to conduct the U.S. Open in 2020. The U.S. Open tournament has already been delayed from June 18th to 21st to September 17th to 20th. What are your guys' thoughts on this new U.S. Open format, and do you think this will make the tournament less or more entertaining? You know, it's. I think that it's going to make it less entertaining in the fact that I don't think you're going to see um, the storylines that we're used to seeing. I mean, you normally have these no-namers that qualify and, you know, work their way up the leaderboard and enter maybe in contention going into the second or third round. We're just not going to have that this year. You're going to see the big names up there at the top. But I think that this will be something that golf fans look forward to, considering that, you know, we don't really have a whole lot of sports right now. Um, so when the U.S. Open does return and comes back in September, I mean, I think it's going to be one of the more viewed U.S. Opens of all time, especially if football's not back by that point. I think football will be back. But, you know, with the U.S. Open being delayed 
I think it's just going to create much, I think just going to create a lot of anticipation for it. But it's definitely disappointing that, you know, qualifying is not going to happen, but ultimately they didn't have much of a choice. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing about golf is majors. People, that's what people wait all year for. There's some casual golf fans that won't watch anything else but the majors. So who wins the majors and how the majors are played and, you know, just the whole aura and performance of it matters more than anything. So the fact that they can still have it, regardless of the stipulations of, you know, having this all-exempt field, I think that is the biggest win because they've already canceled one major this year and everything is basically from the back half of the year, like, and then uh, I believe the Masters is in November or October. So I think as long as it happens, that's the biggest win. The 2020 season of Ice Cube's Big Three Basketball League has been canceled amid the coronavirus pandemic. We tried everything in our power to give our fans a nice 2020 season, but with a long list of obstacles, we decided to shift our focus to having a great 2021 season with our fans in the stands, Ice Cubes announced Monday in a news release. Our goal from day one has been to provide a remarkable experience full of top-level competition and entertainment. The league is shifting their focus to play the 2021 season with fans. What are your guys' thoughts on the season being canceled for the Big Three League? I thought Ice Cube was going to make it happen. I really did. Ice Cube is, you know, someone who just grinds his tail off, and um, I thought he was going to find a way to make it happen. Obviously, this is an understandable decision. It was going to be tough to make happen, but, you know, I, I remember him when this whole thing started back in March, him talking about having some quarantine term in May. So, obviously, that's not going to happen. I certainly understand the decision, but I am a little bit surprised because I, well, I, I do know that he's been working the last two months on, on trying to make it happen. And ultimately he just decided that it wasn't going to be possible. But you have to keep in mind, like if the NBA isn't back by July, there's just no way they're going to be able to have any other basketball. Like the, if the NBA can't come back right now, then really no one can come back because the NBA has the money to secure facilities, to secure testing for their players, to secure housing for their players. So it'd be really tough for any other league other than the NBA to come back this summer. And that includes summer basketball leagues like the TBT tournament that personally I don't think is going to happen either. No, I think that, like you said, that makes perfect sense. I mean, me, from my personal standpoint, I don't think it was that surprising because as you got, you know, closer and closer towards summer in this situation, I feel like him having a season this year without fans, which definitely makes up the you know big three experience uh, you know a big deal and then these guys aren't able to get in shape or practice with their guys a certain a lot of these guys are retired players or you know young uh, guys from overseas it just wouldn't make the league as good as it needs to be and plus it would just change the dynamic considering that the NBA could potentially come back so it wouldn't as be exciting or you wouldn't have as much incentive to watch the big three because the NBA is going on. South Korea's FC Seoul hit with a record fine for replacing sex dolls in the stands. 
they were fined the equivalent of 82 grand US dollars for damaging the prestige and integrity of the league after using sex dolls instead of mannequins to fill the empty seats during a Korean league match. What are your guys' thoughts on this terrible mistake made by the Korean soccer team? I have no words. <laughs> who on who in their right mind signed off on this? I just I have no words. You know what? Like I've seen some ideas thrown thrown around on how to you know make it a creative way to make it look like there's fans in the stands or to add crowd noise to broadcast on TV. But uh, this is going a little bit too far, I think, Lamar. <laughs> I adding crowd noise, I think, probably is the best option, but. This person either has to be very, very deranged or very, very just, like, cheap. Like, I guess a sex doll would be cheaper than a mannequin. I still don't understand what idea that you would need to have that in the stands. That's just, that's a head scratcher. Yeah, I, I have no good explanation for what was going through their heads on that one. I mean, obviously somebody was going to notice there's a big difference between a sex doll and a mannequin. And what what benefits are there? Like, it, it just makes absolutely no sense. And I'm surprised they didn't get fined more than they already did. If this was a European league, they probably would have been fined in the millions because of their revenue. Saints All-Pro wide receiver Michael Thomas started a war of words with Dolphins Pro Bowl wide receiver Devontae Parker because he did not like Parker's response to an Instagram poll on Monday night. The poll was made by NFL on Fox and offered the two following options. Make a catch while guarded by Patriots cornerback and 2019 Defensive Player of the Year Stephon Gilmore or break up a pass while guarding Michael Thomas the 2019 Offensive Player of the Year. Most people would consider the poll a reasonable one and expect people to respond around 50% to 50%, but Thomas took offense to Parker's response. Thomas replied, for you, yes, go run some numbers up, then you can talk. I lapped you and you've been in the league longer than me, first rounder. Parker responded, got some hard feeling there, brother, with three question marks. Let me get targeted 300 times a game. Thomas and Parker continue to go back and forth until Parker eventually stopped replying. Thomas has had a history of having something to say about any sort of criticism of him or his team, including incidents where he called out the Minnesota Vikings after their loss to the 49ers in the divisional round of the playoffs after they had knocked out the Saints in the wildcard game with some trash talk at the end of it, as well as a Twitter war with former Washington Redskins cornerback Josh Norman. What do you guys make of this little Instagram beef between Thomas and Parker? Even though he's a great wide receiver, he didn't really do much in the Vikings game. I watched that game. Like, yeah, he got his catches, but he didn't really make that big of an impact. Then, when you think about it, okay, yes, he's a lot better than Parker. But if you just from a logistical standpoint, he has a point. You have the better quarterback, a very stable quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and you're basically the only target on the field. 
you have you and you have Alvin Kamara running wheel routes and anything else out the route tree. That's it. Like literally. Don't forget about it. Jared Cook too. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like out of actual like wide receivers, okay, they got a tight end. Like they'll throw deep routes to Ted Ginn, but like he's like the only guy. And I don't understand what's the need for him. I mean, I understand the need in general when guys feel that they need to, you know, stick their chest out because they feel slighted. Like, this isn't a situation where you feel slighted. Like, this is apples and oranges. It's like, personally, what I'd rather deal with, you know, trying to catch a ball on a great DB or what I try to break it up from a great wide receiver. Like, either way, the answer isn't wrong. It is preference and opinion. And he crying about nothing. Look, all I know is that Michael Thomas is the best in the game, and he has every right to talk, especially if he gets shots thrown at him. I mean, Parker should not be talking crap to Michael Thomas, of all people. I mean, look, they're both good players. Michael Thomas is the best in the game. I will say that Michael Thomas does tend to have a short fuse. He looks to, you know, maybe start some Twitter wars that he probably shouldn't. Um, but all I know is that if I'm Parker, I'm not trying to start a, a feud with Mike Thomas, because Mike Thomas is the best in the game. He's proved it year after year, and um, you can make an argument that he's the best wide receiver in the game, or maybe even the best offensive player in the game right now. I think Thomas is being a complete crybaby. He can't take any sort of criticism and always feels like he needs to reply to it. And honestly, I, I, I don't see where Parker's answer to the poll could have been offensive in any kind of way. I think this was an unnecessary beef, and Michael Thomas just needs to keep his trap shut and play football. That's fair. That's fair. The NFL owners approved the Rooney Rule changes while tabling minority hiring incentives. The NFL Network reported last week that the owners were considering a proposal that would have improved teams' third-round draft picks by six or ten spots if they hired a minority candidate for a vacant GM or head coaching opening, as well as other compensation for hiring minority candidates for such positions as QB coach. On Tuesday's conference call, this idea was tabled, meaning that it would it will be voted on at a later date. But the owners did acknowledge that the record of minority hiring and positions of team leadership has become unacceptable. The Rooney Rule changes include Teams will now be required to interview at least two candidates from outside their organization for any vacant head coaching job and at least one minority candidate from outside their organization for any vacant offensive, defensive, or special teams coordinator job. The NFL changes anti-tampering policy to relax the rules that have allowed teams to deny assistant coaches and executives the opportunity to interview for jobs with other organizations. The Rooney Rule is expanded to apply to a number of executive positions. Teams in in the league office are now required to interview minorities and or female applicants for positions such as team president and senior executives in communications, finance, human resources, legal, football operations, sales, marketing, sponsorship, information technology, and security positions. Each of the 32 NFL teams will establish a minority coaching fellowship program. The coaching fellowships are to be full-time positions, one or two years in length, to provide NFL legends 
minority and female participants with hands-on training and NFL coaching. The idea is to establish a larger pool of qualified candidates in the pipeline from which head coaching candidates are ultimately drawn. What do you guys think of these new minority hiring procedures? And do you think this will be good for the league in both diversity and just how the league will operate? All right, I'm gonna just be real. I understand what they're trying to do in a sense, but just hearing the rule off the jump is racist as hell, like super duper racist. Like you're telling me, it's like reverse white privilege. You're telling me that me getting hired was only because whatever owner wanted a better, you know, draft pick. Obviously, you know, I'm not throwing shade against Roger Goodell. Obviously, there's, you know, minority members that are in, you know, the commissioner's office. But the NFL has a big, big race problem. Like any other league, they are towards the bottom if you look at Pat. Uh, race and diversity report when it comes to hiring minority candidates for you know coaching positions as well as the fact that the fact that you need to have a rule for black or any brown people to get looked at for coaching positions is ludicrous like there shouldn't need to be a rule like how hard is it to just hire the best person I don't care if he's black white Asian what he's mixed with just hire the best person and like there's uh, great you know white coaches that should be hired and there's great black coaches that should be hired Marvin Lewis I don't know how in the world he was kept his job that long and then there's coaches like Tony Dungy or Herm Edwards that you know in certain situations have been have got fired too quickly it's like if you're a black coach your leash is like this big and if you're a white coach your leash is like this big like how the hell Jason Garrett had a job all that time Mr. 8 and 8. So, like, you're telling me you keep these guys in positions, but you don't want to give chances to guys that are very qualified and are, you know, talented. Like, they need at least to get a seat at the table without having an obscure, arbitrary rule that doesn't really move the needle much anyway. Lamar is preaching, man. Lamar is preaching right now. I agree with everything this man just said. And I'm going to follow it up by mentioning a guy um, in Kansas City. How has the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, how has he good not point. been hired as the head coach? This man made Patrick Mahomes what he is. Obviously, Andy Reid had a lot to do with it, too. But this man has been in charge of a Super good Bowl point. offense, has transformed Mahomes into the best quarterback in the league, arguably. And he hasn't gotten a head coaching job. But you know who did get a head coaching job this past year? Kevin Stefanski, the Vikings <laughs> offensive coordinator? I mean, are you true. serious? How, how, how do you explain that? So, true. for me, there, there is a very, very clear diversity problem in the league because you've had many, many African-American candidates that have not been hired that have been interviewed just because of the Rooney role, but were never – seriously under consideration i just don't really understand why eric Bienemy was not hired this past offseason or the offseason before so 
there is a clear diversity problem in the NFL. Their proposal about incentives for hiring minority candidates is not the way to go about it. I think you're absolutely right on that, Lamar. You hire the best candidate possible. But it's very clear that there have been candidates that have been overlooked in the past. They were African-American that were qualified that did not get hired. Perfect example I point to is how on earth did Jim Caldwell get fired by the Detroit Lions after a 9-7 season? I mean, that organization is so awful. 9-7 is almost a franchise record. Like, what were they thinking? And what is, is what has Matt Patricia done? What was their best season? 7-9, 6-10? I mean, they haven't even been close. I mean, they haven't even been close to where how good they were with Jim Caldwell. And they had most of the same players. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that coaches like that are getting fired and are on such a short leash. And you got coaches like Jason Garrett being mediocre for five years and never getting fired. You got coaches like Adam Gase does a terrible job with the Dolphins and then the Jets say, oh, maybe he'll become a better coach. Like, it doesn't make any sense. We don't see this problem in the NBA. We don't see this problem in other sports leagues. Like, how are you going to have a league that is – if, correct me if I'm wrong, around 65 to 70% African-American. And I think there might be two or three African-American head coaches. That's embarrassing. And then that number decreases almost every year. Yeah. Coaches get fired at a crazy rate in the NFL in general. And like, the only African-American coach that stuck around for a while is Mike Tomlin. Yeah. And if he didn't have that Super Bowl, he probably would have been fired. They were putting him on the hot seat last year. Yeah, they were putting Tomlin it made on the no hot sense. seat. Tomlin is one of the best coaches in the game. One of the only coaches that have, has won a Super Bowl. That's an active coach in the league. If Mike Tomlin got fired, he would get. He better get scooped up the next day, or there's a problem. But it's ridiculous. Robert Vera can get scooped the up the next day. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean Jim Caldwell has been an offensive coordinator on several, you know, Super Bowl contending and winning teams, was a head coach when the Colts went to the Super Bowl. That's a perfect example of someone who should have never been fired in the first place. I mean, it, it amazes me. It really does. Moving on, the Cowboys defensive end, Alden Smith, has been reinstated from his indefinite suspension. Smith had been suspended indefinitely for repeat violations of the NFL personal conduct and substance abuse policies. Smith was second in the NFL in sacks between the 2011 and 2013 season. How do you think Smith will impact the Cowboys? And do you think he should have been reinstated? Alden Smith a game breaker, like straight like that. Alden Smith is a physical like monster. I think that he should have been reinstated because, you know, he served his time like he's been punished. I'm all for giving people second chances. What he had to deal with is sadly the same minuscule on all the offenses and egregious things that you hear about NFL players doing off the field. So I really think that if anybody he deserves a second chance to at least show that, you know, he could not wild out off the field and just be the type of talent 
that we've seen him be when he was with the 49ers, when the 49ers were a Super Bowl contender during Jim Arbaugh's, you know, tenure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to believe, but we haven't seen this guy play in years, and he was one of the best in the league the last time we saw him play. So I'm all for him getting a second chance. I think the Cowboys are a good fit for him. I think he's going to go in and make an impact right away. But you're right, Lamar. I mean, this guy served his time. He learned his lesson, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him back on the field. Yeah, he was a game changer for the 49ers. I mean, the dude just dominated line of scrimmage in the pass rush that those Niners teams back then in the early 2010s I mean they had that Super Bowl appearance against the Ravens you know they couldn't get past the Legion of the Boom and the Seahawks a couple of times but they still had some really elite teams and it honestly was shocking that they did win a Super Bowl with that team but He's going to be big for a Cowboys defense that's looking to improve mightily from last year. Watch out for these Cowboys. I don't know if I would say watch out for the Cowboys. I don't know if I'm ever (laughs) going to say watch out for the Cowboys. Former Oregon signee Luke Hill was arrested on Tuesday on attempted murder and assault charges. Hill attempted a drive-by shooting with the target being Rhode Island football signee Ismail Leggett who was standing in front of his home, but fortunately was uninjured during the incident. According to ESPN, Leggett's girlfriend had received threatening calls from Hill, her ex-boyfriend, before the shooting. What do you guys make of this unfortunate situation? This is the first time I'm actually hearing about this, BJ. Um, You know, obviously an unfortunate situation all around. You know, whenever you have... Uh, you know, a, a guy like Luke Hill that had a lot of promise at one time, and now um, you have him in the news like this. It's very unfortunate. Uh, just a sad story. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to hear about it. I mean, it's definitely an unfortunate situation. But, you know, the most important thing is that Leggett and his girlfriend were uninjured during the incident. They're doing okay. And that justice is being served. And, Hill was behind bars, posted with no bail. So, I mean, that's the most important thing. But, you know, this type of stuff happens every day. Comes to the media's attention when it's a high-profile athlete. It's just really unfortunate the kind of society we live in and that some kids can't walk down the street, relax on their porch, or do anything without having in the back of their mind worrying about getting shot by a drive-by or getting jumped or I mean it's really unfortunate I mean I agree agree with both of you guys I mean I hope him and you know his girl are all right but I really that's all I think have to say Moving on, Vanderbilt hires Candace Lee as their athletic director, making her the first African-American woman in history to become athletic director at an SEC school. And she is only one of five women athletic directors in all Power Five schools. What do you guys make of this milestone made by Candace Lee? I think it's, you know, pretty dope. 
in general. I mean, we just talked about, you know, the NFL having a diversity problem. I think college sports is another area where you don't see necessarily all the time, you know, people of color get hired or just, you know, women get hired in general too. So I think this is pretty powerful. And I think being in the SEC and I was at the SEC school, it's cool because now you get to you get to kind of shake up as far as like ideas and opinions on a league that, you know, has naturally been white, male. Yeah, I absolutely, uh, absolutely agree, Lamar. She is extremely qualified for this too. I mean, she was the uh, interim athletic director before this. She did a great job as the interim athletic director. So they make the decision to promote her to uh, the permanent athletic director. She was actually the uh, captain, I believe, on the uh, 2000 Vanderbilt women's basketball team. So that's really cool. Kind of call comes full circle. So they hire someone that has a lot of familiarity with the university that played for Vandy, that's been at the university a long time, that's already served as an interim athletic director there. So yeah, I mean, not only is this a milestone, but she sure as hell deserves this for the work she's put in for that university. So really cool to see. Moving on to college basketball, the NCAA is investigating Stephen F. Austin University for lack of institutional control. The school faces several penalties, including postseason bans and vacating games. An investigation involves erroneous certification of 82 athletes in nine different sports, including men's basketball and football, according to ESPN. Can I take the lead on this, Lamar? I want to rant about this. Texan is someone that has followed this university for quite some time. Someone who's been to multiple basketball games, multiple uh, other sporting events that this university has participated in. This is absolutely outrageous. You're going to tell me the NCAA is going to drop the hammer on Stephen F. Austin, but UNC gets to walk free for having fake classes for 20 years. You're telling me that UNC didn't have a quote, lack of institutional control. They were doing fake classes for 20 years and they got nothing, not even a slap on the wrist. Kansas, same thing. We keep hearing, oh, the NCAA is about to drop the hammer on Kansas. It won't happen. It hasn't happened and it won't happen. Duke, you're telling me that Duke didn't pay Zion Williamson? Are you serious? But yet you're gonna drop the hammer on Stephen F. Flipping Austin of all schools? I mean, really? You're going to give them a postseason ban for men's basketball? That, like, I cannot put into words how big of a deal that men's basketball is in Nacogdoches, Texas. It is their religion in that small town. That is what they live off of is Stephen F. Austin basketball. And they're in the NCAA tournament almost every single year. This is just ridiculous that they're dropping the hammer on Stephen F. Austin but letting the Blue Blood programs walk free, Lamar. I could rant about this all day. I'm so tired of the NCAA's BS. Oh, I agree. I mean, it's very much a... uh, It's all about money at the end of the day. It's all about money. So they protect Blue Bloods from the UNC scandals where there's too many UNC championship teams in the Roy Williams era, era to count that have been chirps about half the team being ineligible or having poor grades or whatever. That 2005 team, I don't even know if any of them was supposed to be playing in the game. And the same thing for uh, their most recent championship team. I think it was 
2017 that there was chirps about several guys in the team being ineligible. And then you have the Zion scandal. I mean, uh, I know at Kentucky there was chirps about uh, Kevin Knox's recruitment, et cetera, uh, Kansas, uh, U of A. It doesn't matter who you name. If you're a top-flight program, it's almost like a slap on the wrist. You find a way to get through it. But if you're a mid-major or a small school, you get hit with the hammer like Kyle did when he was at Memphis or Kyle did when he was at UMass. But now he's at Kentucky, it really don't matter. Mm-hmm. And where all these violations happened, it was under Coach Underwood. Where is he now? University of Illinois. He did what he needed to do to get a good team and move up to a better program. And then he dipped and left the allegations behind him. And now it's getting a nice slap in the face. And where did Underwood so coach before Illinois? He, he dipped on Oklahoma State after what, one year? I, I forgot about that. I completely Yeah, forgot everyone that. forgets that he was at Oklahoma State. He was there for two minutes. <laughs> it really felt like that. You know the Simpsons the whole, meme, the guy walking out and or walking in, walking right out. That was Brad Underwood at Oklahoma State. Oh my God, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Yep. I mean that's college basketball for you, corrupt in all kinds of ways, and the NCAA picks and chooses who they want to investigate and punish. So it's unfortunate, but not surprising. Moving on to the NBA. Jazz forward Bohan Bogdanovich is out for the remainder of the 2020 season after wrist surgery. Bogdanovich was a huge part of the New Look Jazz, averaging 20 points per game with several clutch shots in crunch time during the regular season. Six-man forward Joe Ingles is expected to take his starting spot until he returns next season. How do you guys think this will impact the Jazz if the NBA season resumes and the playoffs start that's gonna be rough cause he a bucket like Bogdanovich is a bucket and he's been having like after you know in the playoffs back to back years being you know big time for Indiana guarding LeBron hitting big shot and then versus Boston did the same thing in the last year's playoff series he's been worth every single penny and then something. He's averaged over 20 points. He's hit several big game winners versus Houston, a couple other teams. Uh, he's just been the type of four spacer and presence that they needed to really take their team to the next level, which at several times they've shown that their offense is now good enough for them to legit have a chance to try to make it out the West. So it's going to hurt big time, even though Joe Ingles you know, is a beast and a big-time playmaker. Bogdanovich is one of the most clutch players in the league, and for some reason he never gets talked about as being that. Um, you know, thanks for reminding me about the buzzer beater he hit against my Houston Rockets, Lamar. Didn't really want to be thinking about that today. But he, like you said, he's, he's clutch as hell, and uh, he, he's a fantastic player. But I, this is a big loss for the Jazz because if the NBA season does come back, guys – there's going to be no fans in the stands. It's going to be at a neutral site. So playoff seating does not matter. So teams like the Rockets and the Jazz, that would be like the four, five, six seed, they're going to have like a really good chance yeah. of winning the West. 
a much better chance otherwise because you don't have to go to the Staples Center and play the Clippers and the Lakers in the second round. You're not going to have to worry about those type of teams in those types of in those types of environments. So the Jazz had a chance. Now yeah. I don't really think I can say that because of this situation. Yeah, I think Joe Ingles is a great player, but he just doesn't bring as much to the table as Bogdanovich does. So it's going to be a huge loss for the Jazz, and I don't see, see them making it past the second round now. I don't Let's see them see making it past the first round now. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. You know, all right, all right. You know what? I'm going to drop a bold prediction right here. On, on Let's Talk About Sports. You, you remember this, guys. You remember what I'm saying. The Houston Rockets would win a quarantine championship. They have an incredible amount of playoff experience. Like they, sure, they would be the sixth seed. They would play Denver first round. The Houston Rockets, yeah. if you paid any attention, we own the Denver Nuggets. Like yeah. they do not, they do not match up well against us. So. With the with with taking into consideration that playoff seedings do not matter under a quarantine no fans championship you know playoff bracket here, I think the Rockets with with Russ with Harden could go all the way. I think that's definitely possible. I think you know, like you said, if you don't have to play in another environment, it it's a dramatic game changer like no home field advantage truly an all neutral site basically championship like bracket at that point talent and chemistry just won't win then it then you really know like scheme wise and stuff like who's better yeah i think in that scenario yes that the playing on a neutral court seating not mattering that would definitely help the rockets tremendously because I have a hard time seeing them making it past the second round otherwise, but I still don't think they have what it takes to win a championship after trading away Clint Capella. I just think a team like the Clippers or Lakers would just eat them alive inside and eventually be, their, eventually be their downfall. Not to mention the Bucks if they even make it to the finals. So that's just my opinion, but I, I do think they have a shot. But to finish off the show, the Last Dance documentary finale has drawn in lots of attention due to no sports currently being played in the U.S. due to the coronavirus pandemic. And the 10-part documentary has stirred up lots of debate on who the top 10 players in NBA history are. So me, Will, and Lamar are going to give you guys our top 10 players in NBA history. We'll start off with me. At number one, I got LeBron James. At number two, I got Michael Jordan. At number three, I got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. At number four, I got Will Chamberlain. At number five, I got Kobe Bryant. At number six, I got Bill Russell. At number seven, I got Magic Johnson. At number eight, I got Larry Bird. At number nine, I got Oscar Robertson. And at number 10, I got Shaquille O'Neal. And then honorable mention, I have Hakeem Olajuwon, Tim Duncan, Julius Irving, and Jerry West. I have. Will no, you want to go next? No, I, I just, I, 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 oh, I'm just speechless right now. You have Kobe at five. 
Oh my goodness! Yeah. All right, I'll go next. I'll go next. I, I had I have one honorable. I'll st- I'll go from I'll go from ten to one. Honorable mention. I got Jerry West and Tim Duncan. I mean the the logo. You got to have the logo up there. Number ten. I have Bill Russell. Uh, number nine. Larry Bird. Number eight. Shaq. Um, you know you didn't even have this. You didn't even have this guy in your top ten, BJ. But I got Akeem Olajuwon number seven. I mean people forget how dominant he was. Number six. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, he's going to be up there for for anybody. Number five, I got Wilt Chamberlain. Number four, Magic Johnson. Number okay. Now, let me explain myself before I tell you three and two. If LeBron James were to retire today, he would not be in front of Kobe all time. Now, when it's all said and done, he probably will be. But right now, I have LeBron three, Kobe two, and then obviously number one, Michael Jordan and. Um, quite frankly, after watching The Last Dance, I don't see how anyone could have <laughs> Michael Jordan behind LeBron James. I agree with that point. <laughs> you do apparently, BJ. Um, but right now, I'd have Kobe in front of LeBron and, and MJ. There's going to be nobody in the history of the game better than Michael Jordan. He's always going to be number one. All right. I'm going to do my 10 to 1. Uh, just to preface, championships matter how dominant you were on both ends of the floor against your competition mattered. And like your peak mattered. So like your peak measured to other people's peaks, in my opinion. So 10, I got Shaq. Nine, I got Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem only got to win Defensive Player of the Year, Finals MVP, MVP, and be first team all defense and first team all you know, NBA at center, he's only got to do that. So he has to be in the top 10, especially considering that he was the only star in his first championship team. Then number eight, I got Tim Duncan, the big fundamental. Number seven, I got the Mamba. Number six, I got Bird. At five, I got Bill Russell. At four, I got Magic. At three, this was hard for me, but at three, I had to put LeBron. I still think that he has to wait until his career finishes before I go put him two or one. Even though I feel like he should be two, I feel like he has to do more. Like, yeah, I just feel like I have to see his career in first. Number two, Kareem, who's, you know, overlooked by a lot of people. Six MVPs, the most all-time. You know, five championships. Dude was the probably the greatest collegiate player of all time. Obviously, that's not considered into it. But his NBA career is unreal. And he has the only shot that no one can ever block or stop. And then number one, like you said, you can't watch the last dance and not say that Michael Jordan is the number one. Like from the very moment that he entered the career, his career until he ended. He was an all-star caliber player, one of the best scorers in the league. There's never been a, a single moment in his career, unless you want to include, you know, his old and dilapidated Walt Wizards years, that he was a bad defender. Like, he was always one of the best defenders. And even though LeBron is a beast, and I think he's an amazing, you know, human being and an amazing basketball player, LeBron wasn't a dominant, dominant bat- defender until he got to Miami. 
like early on in Cleveland, he was very, you know, iffy at times. And he wasn't even a defensive player of the year consideration until 2009 when he won his first MVP. But for a guy at guard to win defensive player of the year, which only two guards have done, him and Gary Payton, and to do it in a sense where the award is pretty much guaranteed to be given to a power forward or a center, that's, that's good. This guy be preaching over here. You should listen to him more often, DJ. As of right now, I would still put Kareem and Michael above LeBron, but I think when it's all said and done, that LeBron will establish himself as the GOAT. I guess all we can do is sit back and watch, and then when when LeBron's retired, we can really start the argument and look at all their achieve, achievements, how they've impacted the game. As of right now, yeah, I would agree, Michael Jordan, but I thought this list, you know, with current players, we would put them where we thought they'd end up when they retired. Anything else you guys like to add? No, I mean, we'll put him in his list, too. I just feel like, in general, Hakeem is very overlooked. In my opinion, he's the second greatest center of all time. I know people love Shaq because he's the most dominant center of all time. But actually, hold up. Well, he's not better than Bill Russell. But I think Hakeem, you know, incredibly talented, gets overlooked because, you know, he wasn't a – like, he was in the Jordan era and his championships – Oh, they wouldn't have won if Jordan was there. I don't really believe because it's almost like dirt. Someone that good, it's just, it's really hard for me not to see them win at least one. And the fact that he went back to back and the way he went back to back, you know, he swept Shaq in the finals, you know, the first, the second go around too. It's like, I don't know, dream shake. It's like a small forward playing center. It's just incredible, incredible basketball player. So I think All he right. just get more love. For me, it was like, it, it was kind of a toss up for me between Olajuwon and O'Neal. Yeah, he had the the finals victory over Shaq in a sweep. Yeah, he was a well. Obviously, both of them were very dominant players. But for me, I I didn't really grow up watching Olajuwon, so. I kind of just gave Shaq the benefit of the doubt, being able to see his his highlights, watching him play in person growing up. I just, you know, kind of gave the benefit of the doubt to Shaq, but I can see why someone would put Olajuwon above Shaq. It's definitely very close. Well, that is all we have for the season one finale in episode nine of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. I'd like to thank special guest Will for taking time out of his day to be on this episode and thank you all for listening today. We will be on a break for the next few weeks, figuring out how to continue improving your listening experience going into the next season. Season two will begin in June with the first episode being released on Friday, June 12th by 11:59 PM. We have also set up social media accounts strictly for promoting content for the let's talk about sports blog and podcast. Check the Let's Talk About Sports podcast, new social media accounts, Instagram, Let's Talk About Sports blog, Twitter, LTAS Podcast 20 to find out when the next episode is released and to find the league. 
DMing us is the quickest way and easiest way to reach us and links to the accounts are at the top of this page. You can also subscribe to receive automatic email updates for the Let's Talk About Sports blog and put in content requests or requests to be featured in future episodes by going to rbjones99.wixsite.com slash let's talk about sports slash contact.